0: Oh,
1: And welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks.
0: And I'm Lori Socks.
1: And today we're joined by Dr. Jill Lasky from the Lasky Pediatric Dental Group in Southern California, Studio City. We've known Dr. Jill and her husband, Michael, since Sophia was a toddler.
0: About 10 years.
1: Yeah, 10 years probably.
0: I don't even remember the recommendation that led us to Dr. Jill, but what a find. I feel like we say this about a lot of people in our life. We've been really fortunate to have been led in the right direction. And when it comes to dentistry and going to the dentist as a parent, so overwhelmed by that thought, because I know what my experience with the dentist is and the thought of my child getting a cavity and having to go through that process was really intimidating.
1: And not even what your experience is now with dentists, but I think of what my experience was as a child.
0: No, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, as a child, it was there wasn't a pediatric dentist. It was like my parents' dentist who was just a guy who didn't really know how to deal with (laughs) kids and just suck it up. I've got these big hands. I'm going to put them in your mouth, and we're going to dig around there and just just deal with it.
0: And so meeting Dr. Jill was just a gift because it came out of necessity when Sophia...
1: Had some dental issues. She
0: had some dental issues and had to actually go through some surgery.
1: Yeah. No, Dr. Jill has been great. And her whole staff. I mean, she's got a front desk people that are great, the hygienists. There's a gentleman that does the x-rays. They're always so attentive to the kids and how they're feeling at that moment and adjusting. And I think we'll talk about that a lot in this episode is just how you each child, just like each person, no matter what, they're all unique and you have to work in a unique, fluid environment.
0: They made going to the dentist a non issue. And as a parent, let's let's face it, it's great not to have something be an issue. She has an expertise in pediatrics and so she's agreed to come talk to us. I'm excited. Whoever thought I'd be excited to see the dentist? Let's start. Yep,
2: here we go.
1: Well thank you for joining us, Dr. Jill.
2: Hello. I'm so happy to be here today.
1: Well, we're happy to have you. Maybe you could uh, give us a little insight and tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice.
2: Of course. My name is Jill Lasky, and I am a pediatric dentist here in Studio City, California. Not everybody knows what a pediatric dentist is. So after dental school, you can specialize in braces or gum disease or root canals, and there is a subspecialty called pediatric dentistry. So I have extra training in the growth and development of strictly children from age 0 to 18. And in that kind of training, you also learn, spend a lot of time learning about children with special needs and how to treat them and their unique challenges and advantages that comes with children that have neurological differences. So that's what my practice specializes in as well, is just kind of routine cleaning and fillings for kids of all ages.
1: Yeah, how does that look? How how were you uh, instructed about kids uh, in all different spectrums of disabilities?
2: I personally did a 2 year residency at Children's Hospital Boston and in that time we treated the greater Boston area and also there was a lot of clinics like cranial facial clinics that had to do with children um, with all types of syndromes and then there was also a special autism program at the hospital at the time and then we had to treat all the children that are on the floor that were going through different surgical procedures had leukemia or any other pediatric cancers so it was just an intense two-year training when i was just basically lived at the hospital as a resident
1: i didn't know you you were at children's in boston that's a fantastic hospital
2: Yes, it was an association with Harvard Medical School. So we also had some training at the dental school there as well. It was a a wonderful time, so an intense experience, but it definitely prepared me and gave me the foundation for myself to grow and learn and develop my own style in my private practice here in California.
1: Well, specifically to Down syndrome, did you have any personal experience with, with children?
2: I mean, I had quite a few um, when I was a resident. And then in my private practice now, I have the honor of you know, caring for Liam and a handful of other children with Down syndrome. A lot of what I do when I'm with kids with Down syndrome are similar to other kids with, you know, that are like neurologically different. But at the same time, a lot of it's the same what you do with everybody. I think the core of my philosophy with treating any child is to kind of make that connection, make that touch point with them at whatever level they're at and to try to feel and build a trust with them because that's the core of all treatment. If you can gain trust and establish a connection, you can go so much farther with anything you have to do, especially you know the dreaded dental treatment that so many people are fearful of. So we try to make it as a positive experience as possible.
1: Well, that's one thing we've learned with Liam is just that we didn't know when when we, he was born was just how uh, normal things were going to be. You know, just how we were going to just treat him the same, and you just kind of gauge each kid differently because everyone's unique, and that's probably in your practice as well. Like you said, I mean, you could have uh, uh, just dozens of typical kids that are just. All different. They're just all over the place, and you have to you have to be precise and and individualize with your care.
2: A hundred percent. I mean, that's you know, a kid that might be a superstar socially, you know, just can't stand going to the dentist. I mean, the the oral cavity is such a private area that you, at the same time, experience so much of life. With, I mean, think about toddlers. They're always their hands in their mouth and they're exploring the world with their mouth. So I have to basically invite myself into that private area and make sure that they're comfortable before and make sure they're comfortable with me as a person via like touch. And, you know, where are they on their um, understanding and where are they on their communication? All of that goes into the first few minutes that I'm meeting the child, I kind of have a, you know, ability to assess all of those things and then take it from there. In addition, it's so important to make sure that the parents are comfortable with what you're doing because so much of a child, um, especially zero to three, but, you know, even older, they gauge on the comfort comfort level with the parent. So it's key in my practice to make sure that I understand what the parent's, concerns are, because my concerns might not be what their concerns are, to make sure the parents have a voice. And if they feel comfortable, their energy is then projected onto their child, that helps the comfort level and helps settle the child down before I have to do whatever I have to do.
1: Yeah, it is a a very intimate uh, relationship that you get in with your dentist. And um, when do you advise that parents start to talk about the dentist and dentistry
2: to their children? So, I think that it's important. It's critical to find a dental home, is what we like to call it, um, by the child's first birthday, because, and for, for all children. And I think that by age one, if they have teeth or if they don't have teeth, there is some movement. They're scooting around, they might, you know, they're pulling up, they're walking. The risk of having any kind of dental trauma increases you know, than before when they were not, when they weren't mobile. So no, it's, it's very stressful if your child falls down and has any kind of trauma to their mouth to then scram and be like, where do I go? And, and honestly adore pediatricians, but they don't really, they don't get, you know, much education in medical school, how to care for the mouth. So that is, you know, not the first place to go to. So if you already have established a dental home or having a dentist, something to go to, that's key. Then the next thing is, um, Typically, children on that, not all, and that's especially ones with Down syndrome tend to get teeth later. But, you know, not even um, all children sometimes don't have a tooth by the first birthday. But if they have a tooth, you really should care for it. So by that first birthday, parents should have a checkup for their child. But it's really mostly for the parent and less about the child, just so the parents can learn how to best care for their children's teeth. And most kids are more in solid foods by then. And you know, what food choices are best, you know, and also really to kind of have an idea, especially kids with Down syndrome, get a basic idea of what do our parents have to possibly expect over the next six months? Because for that Um, 12 to 18 months a lot of things do change and the parents if you understand and have the knowledge it's a lot more anxiety it reduces the anxiety levels if you have information and if you have a place to go in case something happens so by the first birthday for sure
1: i remember it was i was thinking back at liam's first birthday and i know his teeth came in a little later than sophia's did but um I remember him having uh, sticking his tongue out sometimes, not only just when he was concentrating, but even just when he relaxed a little bit. I think it was a low tone. I think it's something that's common uh, in children with Down syndrome. Uh, and I remember just getting in this rhythm of just always just putting my finger gently and just pushing his, his tongue back in his mouth and just saying, Tongue in, and just kind of encouraging that. I, I, I had actually seen on the Internet yesterday Someone asking that question of what do I do uh, for protruding tongue? And I almost responded on Facebook with what I did. Maybe you could tell us as a professional, is there a recommendation for protruding tongues?
2: So kids with Down syndrome definitely have larger tongues. That is that's a very common um, dental um, manifestation of the syndrome. Along with smaller teeth, narrow jaws, and a, low, a larger lower jaw, kind of like the bulldog, the underbite look, and a smaller upper jaw. So the kind of combination of everything makes the tongue kind of stick out. And some of the times it's because of muscle tone, like you'd mentioned with Liam and trying to kind of, you know, work with if you hopefully have some other occupational therapy um, that they can kind of help or language or anything, you know, one of the other therapies as well to kind of help remind him to get the tongue in if they can. But sometimes if physically, some of the children their tongues don't really fit in the mouth yet. So besides the um, reminder with what you do with your finger, the next thing is to making sure that it's kind of moist all the time. Um, making sure that the salivary flow is there and making sure that it's clean. Because those are the those are the things that if they're not clean and if they're not moist you can get into problems but um the reminder of it helps when they're older there are some orthodontic appliances that they can kind of help or orthodontist um depending on the cooperation level of a child that might need to intervene to help it physically fit in the mouth better help you know widen the jaw and do some things so it's kind of there's many different factors, but having the tongue kind of stick out is a, a typical, um, uh, not even habit. It's just placement of the tongue with kids with Down syndrome.
1: So let's say the mouth is dry. What do you do about that?
2: So making sure the fluids are always there and also to make sure that all the salivary glands are working properly. So that would be something that they're having to visit the dentist. And also if it is happens to be dry, there are different like toothpaste and salves that you can put on. But again, I would that's something that the body usually does compensate and keeps it moist. But keeping it clean is probably the biggest thing that a parent can do at home. And I would do that by just taking a washcloth and wiping the tongue and wiping it from this far back as a child can tolerate without gagging and going outwards because that will make sure that all the bacteria and things don't stay on the tongue you're actually wiping it out when you brush with a toothbrush it kind of swirls it around so that's not as beneficial as taking a washcloth or a gauze and just kind of wiping it out that's a better way of keeping the tongue clean
1: like kind of tongue scraping I guess
2: exactly I mean you can use a scraper but it's a lot of times a lot easier to just use a washcloth or some some little gauze that you can get at the drugstore
1: and speaking of brushing the teeth and and that might kind of swirl things around um, we've actually Liam is great with brushing his teeth I mean he he does as good a job as he can we we follow up with him but he's very independent in doing it and to, and for for listeners out there we've had So many more problems with Sophia's teeth than uh, Liam's. And I can speak
2: to that. Some of that does have to do with the spacing of the teeth. The teeth are smaller. There's typically more space between them. And that the tongue is larger, it's actually more protective. Because your tongue typically is moist and the and saliva has a lot of protective qualities in it. So usually kids with Down syndrome have less decay, but maybe have more gum disease issues, um, depending how much lip competence or how easily it is for them to close their mouth um, to keep their gums, you know, lips over the gums. Um so it's it is usually and then they create a lot more tartar typically just the way the saliva is. So you usually have less cavities, like that's what parents usually think of, I have good teeth or bad teeth depending on how many how much decay there is. So you are it is a true and common statement for kids with Down syndrome to have less decay. Um, and that's why I know that <laughs> you made the comment about having more issues with Sophia, either from the decay point of view or also crowding and things like that, because Liam's mouth is more forgiving in that sense, which is definitely a silver lining and a blessing.
1: It should be a relief to parents because I, I tell you, when we uh, brought Liam to you after having Sophia with you for a couple of years uh, and seeing what, what, just having cavities and just, you know, just some things, we, I was rolling my eyes going, now what are we going to have with Liam? But it's been, it's been great. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's, it's really, yeah. The biggest thing is really that, the, you know, the shape of the face and, the, and the, the discrepancy between the size, the discrepancy between the size of the upper and lower jaw, which is something you typically deal with um, when they're done growing. And depending on the severity, you may or may not need orthognathic or jaw surgery to align to make sure that chewing is, you know, as easy as possible. But that varies just like, you know, the different severity and the different shape of the face it all. You kind of have to assess that on an individual basis, but there are plenty of clinics and doctors throughout the country that are well-versed in making sure that your child can masticate or chew, you know, the, the best possible, but a lot of that is just done when they're, they're completely done growing. That's when those things are taken care of. But finding a dentist that can help you until you get to that point is key and making sure that you have routine visits, having that be once a month, make sure your child is comfortable and can tolerate things in a dental you know, setting to all the way to you know every six months if they're kind of used to it and roll with it and their dental needs are not extreme. And anywhere on that spectrum, it is important to stay on top of their dental care because like anything else, the more you kind of avoid it because you might have angst and your own issues about dentistry itself, the worse it's going to be. So, you know, it's like you just kind of have to say, we just got to push through this because at the end it will be definitely, definitely more beneficial for your child that they have routine care. I know sometimes it seems overwhelming to have one more thing you have to do, but it is really important to make things as easy to catch things when they're small and, you know, easier to handle than when they get larger and bigger problems. So
1: what can we do at home to prepare a child for dental care and visiting the dentist?
2: I think that introducing the toothbrush and even a washcloth, getting inside the child's mouth at six months, between six and eight months, I think is critical, even if there's absolutely no tooth. I think that I tell parents when they're, you know, have the child on the changing table and just before they go to bed, to take a washcloth or a little finger brush and there could be absolutely nothing on it or it could be, we have some water or it could have a natural fluoride free toothpaste. Um, Any of those, whatever you think your child would you know, be most cooperative, or you can try them all and see what works. And one thing might work one week and two weeks later it doesn't and you go to the next thing. But I think just making them aware And just talking and saying, you know, mom or dad or, you know, grandma or whoever's putting them to bed. It'd be like, you know, we're going to wipe our teeth now. And just talking to the child and making them aware that even though there's nothing in there right now, that this is something that we have to clean, just like we have to clean your bottom and, you know, the rest of your body. So that is something that I really think is critical for all children. And then around that, like, kind of six to eight months or... later, just whenever they kind of seem like this is something we can put on our plate now, when you kind of get out of that a little bit of the fog. um, I think it's critical to do that. Then you can also incorporate into your, you know, reading any kind of books about going to the dentist, um, just so they just kind of aware that is there something that you go to take care of. Um, Then just modeling, I think is really important for for your kids to have them, you know, in the bathroom when you, when you're brushing your teeth and just talking about it with them, all of that, the earlier, the better, um, I think to do. So when they do go to the dentist for the first visit, it. They might not register, remember it, but they'll have that in their subconscious to know that this is something we have to be doing. And the first visit is when I recommend because it's really for the parent to have a dental home. So they know, and that's really parent education appointment more than the child and we will look in their mouth. So even if there isn't a tooth at a year, I think between you know, year, 14 months or so, definitely the latest by 18 months, you should go there first visit, but you should at least maybe establish some place to go around a year. And bringing to the dentist any songs or things that you do at home with your child helps if you let the dentist know that I can, then he or she can incorporate that into the visit as well, make it a easier transition for that child for that first visit.
0: A lot of people, you know, their kids have siblings as well. So are there methods that, One, the sibling may have as much uh, anxiety about going to the dentist, or I know that in our case, Sophia had definitely more angst about the dentist than Liam ever did. He just, I think he just kind of rolled with the punches. Anything that you could speak on with the siblings, how to incorporate
2: them? Sometimes it works both ways. I have parents, I always ask them, especially for the second one, do you think that your older sibling would be helpful to model. You know, I mean, every dynamic is different, right? And if the older one is more fearful, sometimes I have the little ones go first and model for their older siblings, you know, what it's like to go into the, the sit in the dental chair. It, it's so variable. I think the best thing to do is to communicate with your medical provider and just to, to figure out the best plan. To see if the children should be together, be separate, bring them on different days, which one should go first. I think that if the younger child likes to emulate the older one and the older one is fearful, it might be better to remove the older child from the situation. If if it's the opposite, it's helpful to have them come.
0: I think that's my concern is for you know parents who maybe their their atypical child has a lot of angst and fear I know one thing we always talk to Sophia about is you know Liam looks up to you and he's going to mimic you so how do we take their fears out of the whole equation to because you know Sophia ultimately grew out of mostly (laughs) grew out of those fears but our our fear was that like you know, Liam would see, oh, I should be afraid of this, and then it would be a much harder behavior. I know he'd grow out of it, but it would, it would be so much work to get him to grow out of that initial fear.
2: Yes, I, I hear what you're thinking. That makes logical sense. I'm going to tell you from my 20 plus years of experience treating kids, so much of it is innate. Some people, are just like, are fearful for absolutely no reason. Nothing ever happened to them you know, in this, you know, to them that of knowledge, I I think there is just someone asked when someone asked me this before, and I mentioned like my son, Jack was scared of dogs. I, nothing happened to him. He like came out petrified of dogs and people asked, you know, why, why? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Why are you, why are you drawn to them? I mean, I think that there's something in our DNA or, you know, we can get, spiritual and hypothetical about this but I think you kind of come in a lot of times with with these fears or not so the good news is that although so many people have anxiety about it it's important for me to really judge where the parent is because a lot of times a lot of the energy comes from the parents if the parents have angst um, I need to make sure that they feel comfortable before I even step um, near the child's mouth I think I like it's important as a a, a provider to really make sure you connect on a personal level first before you go and in, invite yourself into that very private space of their mouth. So then I'll know, like, you know, I, I have to work some ways with kids that are more anxious, like, you know, Sophia um, or my son Jack. Or sometimes I have to, it's fine. We can, like, honestly, I, I kind of get that. I feel like the kids will jump on the chair and even though they might hate the pediatrician, they're fine with me. Or sometimes they're fine with the pediatrician and then. You know, don't want anyone in their personal, you know, space in their mouth. So it's, I think a lot of it is finding the right match with the dentist who can kind of look beyond what they, what their preconceived, or make sure they don't have any preconceived ideas about how any child's going to react with Down syndrome or not, and really be kind of. Aware of what I have to deal with right now in the room at this moment, and then be able to adjust accordingly on how they're going to provide their care. I think that's really important, and and hopefully there's a lot of pediatric dentist or family dentist. Depending on you know where you are in the country, there's not always a pediatric specialist you know available. It's important for a parent to find that right fit, so then their child, no matter if they if they are typical or not to thrive and get the most out of their dental experience because that's the reason why I became a pediatric dentist is that I'm really molding how their kids are going to care for their bodies or at least I hope that I'm influencing I'm molding, I'm influencing how they're going to perceive you know dental care and it's such a critical importance to your overall health especially long term and think about it as you get older heart disease and and diabetes and so many other things are connected to really how healthy your mouth is so if a child can feel comfortable and maybe say to me you know I that, you know Dr. Lasky I don't like what you do but you know I know I feel safe with you that's okay because at least I know that they know that as when they're an adult and they're in the world they can hopefully find somebody they feel comfortable with and will go for their their you know biannual dental cleaning so they can keep their body as you know healthy as possible
0: this is why we love you. Oh, thank you. I hope everybody actually can say they love their their dentist because you're you're top notch.
1: If I had had you as my, or someone like you as my pediatric dentist, I. I would have not had a gap in my adult life with fearing and then not going to the dentist.
2: Right. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like avoiding. I mean, I know there's like something you want to put your hand in your hand. doesn't hurt. So I'm not going to go. But then when it hurts, it's like, Oh, you know, I wish I could have seen you, you know, X months ago. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive what we want. Cause you, it's like, it's not bothering you, but it's really prevention, you know, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And it's true. It's so true with the mouth. It definitely. And that's why that's my biggest thing. If, if, Finding you know the right dental home for anyone throughout the country, I think, is a gift. And, and you have to find someone who loves what they do. I think it's, a, it's imperative.
1: Well, thank you for your time.
2: Of course. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: We don't get this much time to talk normally no, no. in the dentist chair.
1: <laughs> and you're so informative. And I've always loved how your mind works. and just it, You get the information, but with a great personality with it. And we appreciate it. Thank you. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod.